What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Zach Valisi. Today on our podcast, oil spikes, inflation, what's next? These huge oil price spikes, they've all preceded the last four recessions. Tracking the drama back to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Is there any possibility that Putin cuts his losses and turns tail and retreats? I just can't see that. It doesn't fit with his M.O. or what we know of him. And unpacking what it all means at the gas pump and at the White House with RBC's Halima Croft. I do think this is going to be an important inflection point for this administration when they think about how they manage their climate goals and energy security goals. Those stories, plus the NFL's wager on player bets. It's Tuesday, March 8, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. We'll start the podcast with Wall Street on edge. A lot of selling there into the close. It's pretty bad all day. So look, it's pretty brutal out there. Our, our clients are- Monday was the worst day for the S&P 500 since October 2020, dropping 3%. The blue chip Dow lost almost 800 points and the NASDAQ, which contains many of the market's biggest tech names, slid more than 3.5%, falling into bear market territory. Investors remain concerned about a trio of bad news, surging oil prices, slowing economic growth, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine 12 days ago. In those soaring energy prices, WTI crude jumped to about $124 a barrel. The international benchmark Brent crude jumped to $128 on news that in response to the aggression against Ukraine, the US would ban Russian oil liquefied natural gas and coal without European participation. Here's Secretary of State Blinken in Estonia. There is, I think, a significant, not only opportunity, but imperative uh, in this moment to finally uh, move off of, uh, for many countries uh, in Europe, a dependence on uh, Russian energy uh, because Russia uses it as a weapon. And after market opened today, President Biden announced that the U.S. would ban Russian oil imports, a move that will cut about 8% of American imports. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. Historically, a spike in oil prices leads the U.S. economy into recession. It happened in the 70s, and it happened in the lead-up to the 2008 financial crisis, when the per-barrel price of oil hit what is still a record high. 
Here's Becky Quick just yesterday with CNBC contributor John Kilduff. We were talking about super spikes for oil. Goldman Sachs, I think, was calling for maybe $200 a barrel. Um, but I, I'm going back. It's 14 years ago, and I forget some of these things. What, what happened at the time? Did we hit the financial crisis, and it was the recession that brought down prices so rapidly? Why, why were they up so high, and why why'd they come down so quickly? It was the height of the financial crisis, Becky. We were the first time, it was probably the first time in, in years uh, that we had hit full employment. The economy was getting red hot. Uh, there were issues uh, you know, with production uh, in the market to a degree. Uh, and then, yeah, then just like we're seeing now, uh, we, got our, we got knocked off our block economically. And you know, I will say though, oil's always been part of the problem in terms of helping to generate the recessions. There's always a handmaiden, though, to go along with it in terms of the banking crisis, the financial crisis, uh, the dot-com implosion in 2000 when oil prices hit 35 and President Clinton tapped the SPR then. Whenever there's a spike in oil prices, recession follows. The average price of gasoline in the United States hit a record of $4.17, according to AAA. Our Squawk Box anchors today are Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. And Joe is one of millions of consumers feeling pain at the pump. I had 80 miles left on a, an SUV, 80 miles I could have gone and, and put in regular, and it was $77. Yeah. It's, so it's almost uh, $80. And I'm guessing you're not driving one of the huge SUVs. It's, pretty, it's not the double huge. It's yeah. a great car. It's a, a beautiful Navigator, but not the, the Navigator one, XL, yeah. no. I know you got a couple of gas guzzlers. Um, it's interesting to think about history and, and everything starts getting, you know, we can't remember exactly. My son can remember actual dates. It's wacky. But I, so, so October of 2020, that doesn't show you what happened in March of 2020. No. So we, we, we made a huge rebound from the pandemic lows and then pulled back a little bit in October. I remember that. Then I was trying to remember 2008. Uh, what, it was, what would cause huge, gas prices? It was a huge surge because the economy was so hot. Yeah. Right before everything. Right crashed. before everything. And that, and that's the conversation we were having yesterday, where these huge oil price spikes—they've all preceded the last four recessions. It's it's something that goes hand in hand. Somebody called it the handmaiden of what comes along with these recessions. Yeah. So when you see spikes like this, it worries you about what's to come. And we're going to talk about this, and then interesting piece in the journal that that summarizes all the big majors that have you know the best laid plans man they're all getting out with billions of dollars and losses that don't know what to do because uh, they were fully partnered up with Putin in Russia energy giant Shell announced it intends to immediately stop buying Russian crude uh, on the spot market and will not renew new ter new uh, term contracts it's going to begin a phased withdrawal from Russian petroleum products, pipeline gas, and LNG. The company will shut service stations and aviation fuels in Russia. And Shell came under pressure over the weekend from buying a heavily discounted consignment of oil from Russia, despite saying it would commit the profits towards humanitarian aid for Ukraine. The company apologized for purchasing that oil and said it was the wrong decision. They came under huge pressure. The Russian or the Ukrainian foreign minister said this is blood money, essentially, that you are taking and was putting pressure on them on top of that. Uh, they, at the time yesterday, they were still saying that this was something they did because they had to. 
um, trying to make sure that they have enough supplies for, for Europe and some of the areas that they have there. If they don't do it, they say they can't refine it. Yeah. Uh, but this just shows you how quickly this has turned. And it, even though there may not be official agreement anywhere from the United States or Europe at this point in terms of saying we're going to ban Russian imports, you're going to feel the pressure no matter who you are. You're, 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 a company can't get away with doing this at well, this point. It, it points out in this piece that even last week or before the actual move into Ukraine, there were 150,000 troops on, on the border and the company still believed, okay, we can, we can manage this. We can weather this storm. What were they, th and they're talking about BP, Shell, ExxonMobil, all believe they could weather the fallout. But then once it happened and we see these images, there's just no way. They, yeah. but, but what did they think? The, that minor incursion that, that President Biden talked about initially, where if they just go in and take those two east, uh, well, the, those breakaway know, they, regions, would they, they still... They think back to Crimea, right? They right. think back to, we, okay, we people got mad that. and then they turned away, which is the same thing that Putin thought. But the images that we have seen, how much has come of this, how incredibly brave the Ukrainian people have been. The attacks yesterday that you have reporters who are watching as a woman and her children are, are killed in shelling, that she says yeah. the Russian troops were intentionally yeah. trying to target them. I haven't confirmed it, but I, on some of the corridors, they were mining some of the some of the civilian escape corridors, mining, putting mines in. Yeah. Um, they expected, in reportedly, in the south, to what we thought about when we freed Iraq. They were expecting flowers and Russian flags, and that's not what they got in the south or any part. Uh, of the country. And it's been 12 days and it's been far more complicated because the Ukrainians have dug in and they are heroic. Well, let me ask brave. you, is there any, I try to decide whether this is even a possibility in the universe, is there any possibility that Putin cuts his losses and, and turns tail and, and, and retreats? I just can't see that. It doesn't fit with the, his M.O. or what we know of him, but uh, that would be let's really hope that good. there's enough pressure that he finally feels that. Uh, yesterday there was an offer that they were saying if you give these three breakaway territories, I saw that, yeah. perhaps we would do that. But would you believe no anything no they NATO, said? They've also said, go ahead, you no can NATO leave, in the, come out in the and we will show you as you have, as you have civilians right. who are trying to flee the area. Right. It's, um, it's complicated. Uh, the market's reaction is the least. The human issue on this, the human toll, is, is the greatest. But we are here to cover business on this. So we are talking about oil and what we can continue to expect. For that, we're going to bring in Halima Croft. She's RBC Capital Markets Managing Director. She's also the Global Head of Commodity Strategy and a CNBC contributor. And Halima, um, the numbers have been ratcheting up so rapidly. This is coming again before we even have an official um, order from the United States or any agreement, it seems like, in Europe that they would cut off Russian supplies in, entirely. Um, how much of this is priced in as if that would already happen and how much of that is because of what we've seen where companies are just saying, forget it, we're not going to do business with you? I mean, Becky, we have a massive buyer strike, as you just mentioned. Shell has indicated they are not going to be purchasing any more Russian crude. They took so much criticism over the weekend, accused of war profiteering. You have all these companies essentially saying we're not going to touch Russia. So Russia could potentially lose three to four million barrels of exports simply by companies walking away. The loan companies that are remaining, a company like Total, the CEO at Sarah Week was saying, well, we're going to stay in our Novatech partnership, but we are not going to take any Russian barrel. So it's a, basically a situation where very few countries are willing to touch this product right now. And that's before we've talked about any formal oil embargoes or energy sanctions. We, we talked about how different this is from what we've seen in the past. You, you, you had situations where people maybe 
thought after Crimea, okay, this is something we're going to step away, but it, 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 kept, it got back to partnerships very quickly. Is, is this different? Will these fractured relationships ever go back? Becky, the scale of destruction is so massive. We're talking about two million refugees and we're only like two weeks into this horrific conflict. And I think we're talking about like the serious sustained loss of Russian exports. I think it's going to be very, very hard to lift sanctions on Russia in any sort of short order. I think this is going to be long duration in terms of these measures. Russia is now the most sanctioned country in the world. So I do think market participants need to start thinking about seriously writing down these Russian exports for an extended period. And the question for Washington, for European governments is, where are you going to source those additional barrels to make up for this very significant Russian export hole right now? The answer seems to be about anywhere that they can possibly find it, even Venezuela or, or Iraq. I mean, it has changed our perspective on who uh, the worst neighbor is, the worst person on the, uh, the worst country to be dealing with on any of these situations. The reality is how, how quickly can any of them get ramped up in, in Iraq? Weren't they already cheating on what they were doing and exporting anyway? I mean, Iraq is basically out. I mean, we have four countries in OPEC that have spare capacity. We think it's only around sort of two million barrels. I mean, the one country that is sitting on significant spare capacity right now is Saudi Arabia. And the question is, is President Biden not only going to pick up the phone and call the Saudi crown prince, is he going to have to potentially send a very high-level delegation to Saudi Arabia in the coming days to try to secure additional barrels from that country. I mean, U.S. production is going to grow, but as you know, putting additional rigs to work, we're talking about oil coming in six months' time. We're not talking about immediate oil. And immediate oil, it comes down to the question of, is Saudi Arabia willing to resume its central banker role in oil? But if Saudi Arabia maxes out, then we're basically in a situation with no spare capacity shock absorbers. Like, this is a massive Russian export hole. And again, we're not even talking about formal sanctions or also a Russian response. We had the deputy prime minister of Russia out saying oil could be $300. He also made a reference to potentially Russia withholding gas supplies through Nord Stream 1, that very important pipeline into Europe. And so we have not yet seen the Russian response, but I'd be watching potentially what they do in terms of natural gas. OPEC plus, basically OPEC plus Russia, has been the grouping for many years now to try and compete with the United States as we ramped up our production. How willing is Saudi Arabia to break that alliance? And, and what would they try and extract from the United States if they do? I mean, they have said, look, we want a new security framework for the United States. If we are going to change horses mid-race and essentially get ourselves in the middle of this conflict in terms of really getting crosswise with Russia, we want clear indications of the U.S. willingness to partner with the kingdom to address its clear security needs. But also, President Biden, again, he's going to have to reach out directly to the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, not call his father, call the man who's actually running the country. Meaning that if this is a situation um, where we don't want to get involved in the conflict in Ukraine, we're going to have to help Saudi Arabia. Does that mean with, with weapons? Does that mean with troops? What are we talking I think, I think absolutely in terms of weapons. I mean, they're dealing with their own security threat from the Houthis in the south, Iranian-backed armed groups. They are looking for, you know, additional defense support, potentially additional Patriot missiles. 
Some are saying they want help with their own civilian nuclear program. And so the Saudis, I think, are going to drive a pretty hard bargain with President Biden on this. I mean, President Biden you know, was very focused on pivoting to Asia, you know, the great mm -hmm. power competition with China, thinking that the Middle East was not going to be an important area for his administration. And now he's having to spend a lot of time trying to get the Middle East to help him deal with a severe economic crisis that's coming from this conflict. Halima, if the solution is that we could drill more here, I hear, I hear your point that it will take six months to do that. This is, this is not overnight. Those sound like some pretty um, tough bargains to be striking if you're just trying to win six months until we can get back to the point where we are producing. Is the White House asking American producers to step up and produce as quickly as they can? And, you know, is this something we could live with for six months until that happens? I mean, you hear a new tone from the Biden administration when they talk about U.S. producers. And this was a government that came into power talking about essentially keeping oil on the ground, the net zero imperative. And now they are having to ask U.S. producers to ramp up. But U.S. producers at this conference, the Sarah Energy Week, are basically saying, look, we don't want to be told we need you temporarily. We want a place at the table in these discussions about how do you have an orderly managed energy transition. And also on natural gas, you have natural gas producers saying, look, we are here for the U.S. energy security needs. It's actually been U.S. LNG that has basically been going into Europe. We need help with export infrastructure so we can get more U.S. LNG on the water and reduce dependence on Russian gas. Those sound like all very reasonable demands, especially if you put them in the context of either negotiating with the Saudis or with the Russians at this point. I mean, I think certainly this issue about Europe's dependence on Russian energy, all these European governments are talking about the need to break that dependency on the one hand, accelerate the transition to renewables, but also really think about alternative supplies of LNG. And again, this is where the United States comes in as a major natural gas producer. Also, thinking more carefully about Germany on the issue of nuclear as well. And so I do think this is going to be an important inflection point for this administration when they think about how they manage their climate goals and energy security goals. Halima, if, if this were to, uh, if these hostilities were to end quickly and then let's say some years pass, I mean, Russia is, is oil rich. Can the world go without Tapping those reserves, I, I'm just looking at, at what BP's losses are going to be. They, they were carrying the, the Rosneft on their balance sheet at 14 billion, and they're now saying it's effectively zero. Do any of these people, do any of these companies go back if, if uh, Russia, let's say there was even a, a regime change. Did, will we be using Russian oil again at some point, the humanity? I mean, Joe, I think it's a really great question. If Vladimir Putin is not in power and there's a new government, I do think that is a path to rolling back sanctions. But barring, you know, a change at the top, the way he has prosecuted this war, the humanitarian crisis that has unfolded, I think it's going to be very difficult for Western governments to roll these sanctions back in short order. I think this is a situation where these sanctions will be sticky and it will be very hard for Western companies to re-engage with Russia after what has come to pass in the past two weeks. Halima, thank you very much. Thank um, you. Complicated stuff. Thanks for helping us kind of sort through it all. All right, the House of Representatives could vote as soon as today on a bipartisan bill to block Russian energy imports and cut trade relations. Elon Moy joins us right now from Washington. And Elon, what's the latest? Yeah, that's right, Becky. Congress is rallying around those new plans to ban imports of Russian oil and gas 
and end normal trade relations with the country. The Democratic and Republican leaders of the committees that oversee trade have reached an agreement on how to move forward. I'm told that bill could be introduced and get a vote on the House floor as soon as today. Now, this new resolve comes after Ukraine's president made his plea directly to Congress during a Zoom meeting over the weekend. Lawmakers across the spectrum are calling out Russia as committing war crimes, including killing civilians. The number two Democrat in the Senate, Dick Durbin, said the U.S. should not fund Russia's war by buying its oil, even if that means higher prices at home. While Putin wages war on democracy, the world, including the United States, will likely pay more to fill our tanks at the gas stations and heat our homes. We have to be ready for that reality. But that is the price today of defending freedom and democracy. Congress is also preparing to authorize emergency aid to Ukraine. The estimated total is now more than $12 billion. That's just about double what the White House had initially requested. And guys, this just underscores how quickly the crisis has escalated. Back over to you. Elon, a couple of things. Um Look, higher prices are here already. The world is putting on its own boycott. Companies are, are, are moving away because they're being pressured to do so, saying that they will not take any more Russian oil companies. At least Western companies are doing this at this point. So you're already dealing with the higher prices. Um, the big question has to be, what will President Biden do? Will he sign that if it comes to him? I, I can understand the direct appeal to Congress and, and why that would make um, all of these members very eager to sign up and, and say, yes, they want to go along with that. Zelensky has also spoken with Biden. Will the pressure be enough to, to push Biden in that, to, into that position, especially when you're already dealing with higher prices at the pump? I mean, that seems like where this is headed, Becky. Clearly, if there is strong bipartisan support from both chambers of Congress, I think it would be difficult for the president not to sign that bill. I think another question is whether the administration acts on its own before this bill were to ever get to his desk. Even if the House were to vote today, it's unclear if the Senate would be able to take it up this week. Then you're looking at next week. So time is really of the essence here. Does the administration feel like it is in a place where it can and is ready to move, perhaps along with other uh, countries such as the UK and Japan? Or is this move in Congress really the avenue it's going to use to enact this ban on Russian oil? We'll have to wait and see. But there is support in Congress for, for this to happen. Elon, thank you. You've been to the supermarket? Yes. What, what's, what do you think a pound of bacon costs? Uh, do prices, right? I'll tell you, $9. $8? I was going to say $8. Depends on 200 square buying. feet of, of aluminum foil. Oh, that, that's got to be huge. At Fifteen. Fifteen bucks? Fifteen dollars. Um, virgin olive oil, nine, uh, nineteen. A, that was already crazy before. But things are, I, I, I get... Milk prices. Take a look at I milk do my prices. own things now. I'm like George, w, George H. W. Bush because I'm just fascinated. Because you're you preparing can, for the prices, right? No, but I, but I do it. I love checking out myself now. Yeah. And, and I'm, but it tells me what it is every time. And I'm like, sticker shock. It's, yeah. it's really crazy. Still to come on Squawk Pod, place your bets. Or maybe don't. The NFL is taking action on one player. But our own Joe Kernan, he's in the clear. You have a gambling problem. The, no, I don't. It's $5. <laughs> $5. $5. 
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Up track, stand Joe by. This is Squawk Pod, today with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Here's Joe. The NFL suspended Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley all the way through the 2022 season for betting on games. The league says that Ridley bet on the games during a five-day period last November, a period which he, he had stepped away from football to address his mental well-being. Now, in a letter to Ridley, Commissioner Roger Goodell wrote that his actions had put the integrity of the game at risk, threatened to damage public confidence in professional football, and potentially undermine the reputation of his fellow players. He supposedly bet on uh, his team. In a series of tweets following his suspension, this is what I meant, he says that in total he had bet $1,500, says he doesn't have a gambling problem. I say that a lot. And here's what I meant. He's going to have to forfeit his $11 million salary for 2022, but I think a guy, you know, he shouldn't be betting on football, but no. uh, if you're making $11 million, $1,500 is not something you would think of, wow, this guy is a high roller, $1,500 on that. $11 they, million. They can't have a Black Sox incident. You know, you right. can't have a situation where it looks like games are being thrown. And uh, granted, That's this is different. He is. was betting on his team, not against them. I mean, think about you know, the guy who still has more hits than anyone else ever right. is still is he not going to be in the whole whole thing. And right. you know, with all the steroid era and everything else, the, the performance enhancement era, and and that's still keeping I, him out. No, but I, I I think this is even more important now that the league and other sports leagues have gotten into bed right. with gambling in this situation. Well, it makes it, it a little bit. And, yeah, but but it. it it would be the same story if one of us right. was trading stocks. It would, supposed to be but, we cer- but certainly all professional sports now, uh, uh, gambling is accepted, and it's a huge part of, of why the ratings are up so much, why it teams is. are valued at so much more. In-game betting, but, all but these things. But you can't have questions about whether the, the no. games are being rigged. And by the way, the sports lines are so good about getting it on the points. How often do you miss by one point? You know, I, miss it, by, I lose by half a point a lot. Yeah. You know how I've really been losing lately is uh, you, you're, you're, you're given eight points. They're up by 20, right? Mm-hmm. But the last five minutes of the game, the guys are like, yeah, we're up by 20. There's no way they're coming back. And they win by 
seven. And and that's the thing. You're you already think it's rigged just based on the idea that it slipped that, that, out of your hands. Right. It came that close. If you hear that players happen to be gambling on top of it, right. what does that do to undermine the integrity of the entire league? And, and by the way, the leagues put themselves in this position by getting so close and gambling, cozying right. up with gambling. Um, I understand why he's taking a hard line. I feel bad for the player. Right. Um, it, it seems like an extreme you punishment, I but really I understand why they're taking it. But when someone said, maybe he's one, if, you know. When I say I don't have a gambling problem, I really don't. I, just I, want I, don't, to I don't think it even has to do whether you have a gambling problem or not. It has to do with the idea that you were gambling when you, were, you explicitly are not allowed to, and the, and the league has reasons for why it doesn't want any player yeah. ever involved in gambling. Now, I happen Especially to know, on their own team. I happen to know that Boston College and Pittsburgh are playing today, and it, Boston College has given two points, and that's who I took. You have a gambling problem. With the, no, I don't. It's $5. $5. $5. And I can't wait till 2 o'clock to watch it on ACCN. It um, does make the games more interesting. It does. It's fun. We hope you had fun listening to today. And if you are, too, tuning into the ACCN this afternoon, make sure you tweet at us or Joe at Squawk CNBC. And Joe is at Joe Squawk. Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin host Squawk Box weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right to your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.